KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. There's a lot of talk about whether American democracy is doing the best job representing the American people these days. Should a state with a small population like Wyoming get the same amount of senators as a state like California or Texas? Well, that's not changing. But looking at the House of Representatives, that has had the same amount of members for more than a century. And now every House member on average represents more than 700,000 people. Could the number of members of the House of Representatives be increased? How would it be done? Dr. Fred Foley Jr. is an adjunct instructor of political science at LaSalle University, and I had the chance to talk to him about all things the House of Representatives. Give a listen. So as it stands right now in 2021, we have 435 voting members of the House of Representatives. How do we get to that number? Why that number? Well, it's it's interesting as to how we get to it. We've been at that number for a pretty significant number of years. Uh, The Congress itself has the authority to set the number. The uh, Constitution does not determine that number. It goes to the Congress to determine it. And it was last set in 1913. So that's, what, 108 years ago. And they set it at 435. Uh, I must admit to having no idea how they came up with 435 in 1913, but they did. Um, And then they reaffirmed that by the Reapportionment Act in 1929. And of course, in 1913, there certainly were not 50 states. Of course, Alaska and Hawaii were admitted in the late 50s. And I'm not even sure if New Mexico and Arizona had been elected or had been admitted to the union yet in 1913. It was right around that time. And of course, the population was, uh, I would say, less than half the population that the United States has today. Uh, But that's been the number uh, since 1913. The Congress could change it by simple legislative act uh, passed by the House and Senate, signed by the president, does not require a constitutional amendment to change it. But I don't know of anybody that's proposed changing it or has discussed changing it in, in a long, long time. Do you feel, I mean, America is such a different place in 2021 than it was in 1913. Is that number still doing a good job representing Americans, representing constituents that were leaning on something that's more than a century old? Well, I think from a numerical standpoint, the uh, the simple answer is to say, no, it's not as good in representing Americans. Uh, the last census that was completed in 2010 came out to be approximately 710,000 Americans per congressional district, which is a big number. Uh, The final uh, apportionment and number from the 2020 census hasn't been calculated yet. It's close. Uh, But the estimate is it's going to be somewhere between 750 and 760,000. That's a lot of people for a congressman or a congresswoman to represent. And certainly a number that I suspect is higher than most other democratic societies in the world. What are ways that that fails the average person as far as... Uh, I mean, it's one thing that I get your call to your representative uh, return, but for one person to try to represent a group that large is pretty difficult, isn't it? Well, I think there's a couple of different kinds of uh, representation that that are part of the answer to your question, Matt. Uh, One of them is that every congressman and his or her office does a tremendous amount of what's called casework. 
uh, for individual constituents who have some particular problem or issue or matter that they feel the federal government needs to respond to. And even though 750 or 760,000 is a big number, the members of the House have pretty extensive staffs, not only in D.C., but also back in their congressional districts, often multiple offices with multiple staff people in each office. And they are the ones that are really doing the congressional casework for the constituents back home. Um, and I suspect the number is not a detriment or a prohibitive factor for that casework getting done. The other side of representation is the congressman or congresswoman uh, voting the way the constituents would like them to vote when major issues uh, come up before the House. Uh, for example, the, the current debate going on about the Biden administration stimulus package. And with that large number of constituents, it, it, and even with the large staffs they have in the districts, uh, it's pretty hard, if not borderline impossible, for a congressman or a congresswoman to know what the consensus or the majority opinion is within the constituents in his or her district. And so I suspect they tend to rely on the most outspoken, the most publicly uh, vociferous people, either in spoken word or social media or printed uh, word. Uh, and they rely on organized interest groups to try to give them an idea of what the people back home really want them to do. But that's the part that I think gets, uh, gets problematic uh, with the size of the districts. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem – it seems like having that number capped for so long and having the representation get so large for each member of Congress – we talk a lot these days about things that are detrimental to our democracy. This would seem to be, I wouldn't put it at the top of problems we're facing, but this seems to be kind of one of those things that on a low level kind of helps lead to where we are having problems with our democracy today. Well, I think I think it's, it, it leads to it. I, I don't think it, I agree with you. It's certainly not at the top of the list, but I don't pretend to know what the population of the United States was in 1913, but I suspect it was a good deal less than half of what it is today. And so you were probably at that point looking at congressmen, and uh, I don't know if there were any congresswomen in 1913. You're probably looking at them representing maybe a quarter of a million people or, or roughly a third of the number of folks that they represent today. And that does create, I think, a, a problem for democracy uh, in terms of hearing all the views and the opinions on issues that would be coming from what could now well be three quarters of a million people in your district. You mentioned earlier there hasn't been a lot of talk about changing the number. How much of that is for pe basically for everybody's lifetimes? It's been 435. It's always been yep. 435. And that's the way it is. So I kind of maybe not on the same level, but the same thing with why D.C., Puerto Rico aren't states. Well, it's always been 50 states. It's been 50 states as long as most people can remember, and that's just kind of the way it is. Is there a certain inertia, you think, in that that filters into this, that, that people don't want to break with what they're used to? Well, I, I would say yes in terms of the inertia on the 435. I don't think I agree with you on that point regarding Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Uh, but the 435 matter, I mean, obviously, it's 108 years ago. And uh, despite the fact my students think I'm pretty old looking, I'm not 108 yet by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, for almost every one of us in this country, we've been used to it. And I think we've been so used to that number that I suspect a fair number of Americans think 
It's probably somewhere in the Constitution that it's embedded uh, in the framers' view of what the Congress ought to look like. Um, and that, of course, is not correct. I mean, the framers wrote the Constitution when there were 13 states and uh, a lot fewer than 100 representatives in the Congress. But I think people have just gotten used to it. I think the members of the Congress have gotten used to it. I, I, I don't know and haven't heard any rumblings or proposals or people speaking on the floor of the House that they should increase the number at all. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, I think there's an inertia element there. I think statehood is probably less of an inertia thing because uh, Hawaii and Alaska were number 49 and 50 back in the late 50s. So that's not quite so long ago. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion uh, over the last, oh, now 10, 15 years at least, maybe 20, about statehood uh, for Puerto Rico. And there have been uh, referenda conducted in Puerto Rico. There have been proposals introduced in the House that have gotten a lot of co-signers, but they haven't gotten voted on on the floor of the House. Uh, and then in the last year or two, there have been other folks that have been proposing statehood for the District of Columbia. So uh, I think that's not as inertia a, a problem. Uh, as perhaps the 435. The, the interesting impact, Matt, is that if you uh, assume, and, and it's not necessarily credible to be, assume this, but let's assume the number stays at 435 for a while, and Puerto Rico were to be admitted to the United States, lots of folks don't realize it's about roughly in the middle in terms of population among the 50 states, and it would end up with four or five members of the House of Representatives, which means four or five states would lose one representative each. District of Columbia is a lot smaller. It would probably get one representative, which technically it has one now, but it's a non-voting member. Uh, and so that would not be quite the same dramatic impact. But yeah, so I think the inertia issue on 435 is that, you know, I think that's correct. Is there a way, I think anytime anybody talks about making a big change, like let's increase the number of people in the House of Representatives, one of the reflexive arguments is it will give, but that wouldn't be fair, would give an advantage to side A or side B, Republicans or Democrats. With something like this, because of all the ripple effects, it would be would it be hard to say if there would be a benefit one way or the other, or is there a way you could do it that would be relatively down the middle? Well, I think if this were 10 years ago, and we or maybe even five, but at least 10 years ago, and we were having this conversation, I think you would probably say it would be to the, the, the advantage of the Republicans. Um, uh, and, and that's because of suburbia. I was doing some just rough uh, sketching out on a legal pad with, you know, as preparing for this conversation. And I think if you were, it, obviously, it depends on how big do you make it. You know, do you make it 500, 600, whatever that number might be. But I think if you were to increase the size, proportionately, the rural areas, I think, would lose representation, uh, you know, in comparison to the suburbs and the cities. Uh, I think the suburbs would be the big winners uh, because there's been so much population growth and migration into the suburbs around the big cities, every part of this country over the last uh, 10 or 20 or 30 years, that I think the suburbs would be the ones that would have the most significant gain. Big cities would gain, rural areas would gain too, but in population uh, proportion to the suburbs, I think the suburbs would be the big winners. Uh, and 10 years ago, I think you could have said, and again, maybe five, with some degree of confidence that that would have been a benefit to the Republicans. 
Republicans. But the suburbs are up for grabs these days um, as a result of the Trump presidency, uh, the 2016 election, the 2020 election. Suburban voters, uh, they were the ones that elected Joe Biden. Now, they also elected, at least in the Pennsylvania area, they elected statewide Republicans as auditor general and treasurer. But then they elected both Democratic and Republican representatives in the House. So it's not crystal clear to me which party would be the big winner. I think the suburbs would be the winner, but I don't know that that's going to be Democratic or Republican winners. And you mentioned, and I agree, that there's not a ton of conversation about this. There's not a buzz like there is about the statehood question, I think. Do you, is this something you think we will see addressed in the next 20 years? Or do you think if there's not a push, if there's not you know, a rise in public sentiment, it'll just go back to the inertia. Well, this is how it's always worked, and this is how, what we're going to stick with. 20 years is a pretty long uh, time frame to try to guess what might be happening politically in this country. Sometimes 20 minutes is a long time. Uh, I would say in the next five to 10 years, I would doubt it. 20 years out, uh, I'm hesitant to try to predict. I don't think there's any groundswell. I don't think there's any widespread, either uh, popular or media sentiment about changing the size of the House of Representatives. I don't see or I haven't heard anything coming from the members of the House themselves about it. Um, So in the short term, the five, maybe the 10 year term, I would doubt it. But down the road, you never know. Um, It is something certainly that's plausible. And And especially if one of the political parties, uh, if the suburban voters coalesce in a way that the suburban voters are clearly going to be either Democratic or Republican in their voting for the House, not including or separate from the voting for president, uh, then that might be a stimulus to do it. But I don't see that happening in the short run. You mentioned if, uh, you know, if Puerto Rico were to become a state that those members would have to come from somewhere. Sure. Could we see sort of uh, the every action gets a reaction if there was movement on the statehood front and all of a sudden some of these states saw the size of their house delegation challenge then all of a sudden we might have a, a groundswell of well this isn't quite fair and you know for 108 years we've been at the same number and it's really not fair to the american all, all of a sudden people would care about it well i think the states that would lose uh would care about it uh it's it won't be crystal clear Uh, which those states will be until they get all the calculations done after the 2020 census. And uh, I took a look at some of the formulas uh, that they use to determine the number of seats in the House, and they're pretty complicated. They are way beyond my mathematical or statistical abilities. But the consensus is Pennsylvania is going to lose seats after this census anyway. And it may well be one of those, likely to be one of those that would lose a seat because of Puerto Rico. And That could get people and states thinking, hey, we're losing, and if we increase the size, maybe we wouldn't lose. And then it becomes, well, how much do we want to increase the size? That's the kind of thing that could be that that proverbial pebble rather, that starts the avalanche down the hill. But I, I think that's unlikely in the short run. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 